0: This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson.
1: Greetings, welcome into a special edition of the Black and Blue Report, a Pelicans draft preview edition. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside Jim Ikenoffer from Pelicans.com. We are now one day away from the 2016 NBA draft. It'll be on ESPN. Also, we'll have some information on a Pelicans radio draft show for you. But uh, we wanted to talk about a little bit about the draft. Uh, We have some special guests coming on to kind of preview things. We'll have different perspectives from some insiders, from former coaches, one of our fellow broadcasters. Plenty of things to talk about here on this Wednesday, and Jim um, also has the pleasure of going to New York for his first time to uh, take in the draft, I should say, and be ready for when the Pelicans pick at number six. So, Jim, a pretty exciting time, and I'm pretty sure you're excited about heading up to New York today.
2: Yeah, I definitely am. As you mentioned, this is the first time that I'll be attending the draft, so I'm really looking forward to that. I've been watching it on TV for many, many years. Um, it's always kind of made more sense to be here in the past. With you know, the coach and the GM are always here in uh, New Orleans or Metairie. But um, this time, I'm going to go up there and and uh, and check it out. I'm I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it all works and kind of seeing some of the behind the scenes stuff. So that that's what I'll be. Uh, be doing on Thursday
1: do you have any expectations when you get up there are you kind of going in with a clean slate thinking you don't know what's going to go on when you get there
2: I'm kind of going in with a clean slate but I feel like there's a few things that I'm looking forward to like the first time that Knicks fans boo whatever draft pick they have or just in general you know how Knicks fans are they like to boo stuff. Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that um seeing some of the crazy outfits that some of the draft picks have come up with I know seems like they've been a little more conservative the last couple of years because i think partly they know that if they wear something too outlandish that they're going to end up on TNT either next year or 10 15 years yeah. from now with Shaq and Barkley making fun of them so um looking forward to seeing that to see what some of the some of the players come up with and um you know there's always a lot of funny moments at the draft I- including you know certain maybe second some of the second round picks coming out of the stands to go up to the, the podium that you didn't even know were there. So there's always a lot of twists and turns at the draft, and I'm hoping that in addition to trying to cover as much as I can, obviously with the three draft picks that the Pelicans have, also kind of um, kind of explain and, and show the scene of what's going on there on Twitter and over, uh, over the few hours that we're there for the draft.
1: You mentioned the Knicks fans booing and all that, and we noticed a trend, at least in the NFL, that – Roger Goodell gets booed when he gets up there, but it seems like with Adam Silver, mm. he gets applause. He he doesn't get, and sometimes David Stern, I remember, would go up with a Hulk Hogan here and kind <laughs> of provoke the fans a little bit. Yeah. But Adam Silver, as of now, yeah, still is in good graces with the fans. He's
2: he's super popular. Yeah, I mean he he's he's got to be the most popular commissioner right now by a, probably a pretty wide margin over some of the other ones. But um, yeah, I think it just it's a testament to the to the first couple of years he's had as a commissioner of how great of a job he's done and and um he seems to be very open-minded as far as listening to new ideas and i know david stern was you know a great commissioner did uh-huh. a ton of historic things for the nba but um yeah i think people like people take to adam silver's personality a little bit more i think the average fan is a little bit more um receptive to the way he kind of conducts himself and like i said he's very um receptive to, to ideas and, and changes and stuff like that. So, yeah, he's – I don't expect him to get booed. Yet. I think people are pretty universally um, um, appreciative of the job that he's done so far.
1: So we did a draft lottery preview when we were hoping the Pelicans would have the number one pick uh, tomorrow night, but they don't. They have the number six pick. But we keep seeing that more people are invited to the green room. Um, you haven't been invited yet, but I think, I'm think <laughs> i guessing you will be invited soon. Um, I think that means, though, there's still so much uncertainty – And there always is with the draft, but it seems like there's more uncertainty this year. One and two seem pretty certain, but after that, it's a crapshoot.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it seems like there's kind of a a somewhat fluid second tier of guys starting with a three pick. Um, There's a few names that you see pretty commonly from, say, three to maybe about eight or nine in in a lot of the mock drafts. But it it is uncertain to the point, like you said, that there's a few names that you see pop up once in a while in one mock draft that you at like say 10 or 12 that you don't see in any other mock draft. So I think that is an indication of how there's a, there's some unpredictability once you get beyond that, you know, that first half of the lottery or so.
1: All right. So let's get to uh, some of the topics that we want to discuss before we get into our guest, our guest today will be Chad Ford, ESPN insider covering the NBA, Stu Jackson, former executive vice president of basketball operations for the NBA, now an analyst on NBA TV and our very own Joel Myers. Uh, Pelican's television voice, and also he's on SiriusXM NBA radio every morning Monday through Friday. But I want to talk about um, the perception of certain players' traits when it comes to evaluating players. When we have people come into the league where people talk about Kevin Durant can't really bench press or someone's too small or someone's too small or someone's too slow. I remember mm-hmm. Dwight Howard, he was number one pick. I was like, no way this skinny guy is ever going to make it at center. And look yeah. how bulked up he was, and look where he's turned out today. Has perception changed a little bit as far as you know, judging these people based on the physical traits, as in too slow, sure. too strong, not strong enough, too mm-hmm. tall, things like that? Yeah, I've, I definitely agree. I think one of the
2: things that's happened in the last few years in particular is that some of the... I'm, I think labels maybe is the right word, or some of the of the absolutes that people have had about the draft traditionally have kind of gone away. I think one of the one of the other ones, um, in addition to the the few that you mentioned, was um, players that were labeled tweeners. Say ten years ago, that was always a big knock on a guy because people always said, you know, this guy. I'm not sure if he's a small forward. I'm not sure if he's a power forward. And some of those power forwards who were maybe a little undersized that were say six 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 seven. 6'8", even, that didn't have a lot of lift. I think a lot of those guys were kind of downgraded in the draft because people were worried that they, they didn't fit anywhere and maybe they couldn't defend a certain position. But the way, especially with Golden State that everyone has seen has gone where they use a lot of small lineups, and that's kind of a trend across the whole league that you're, a lot of teams are going with small lineups. It seems like the, the label of this guy's a tweener has actually gone the opposite way now where people say, you know, this guy could be the next Draymond Green. This guy's really versatile he's multi multi-dimensional um, so I think that's one of the biggest things that's changed is that people's mindset about different positions and can you or can you not fit a guy into a certain spot has kind of gone away I still think that there is um, a negative um, to some of some of the um, guys who who are point guard size but don't have point guard skills I think that's the one kind of spot where you you know there's still a lot of red flags if there's you see a lot of college guards that are 6-2 coming out that could score in college but maybe weren't you know floor generals couldn't aren't really great passers and definitely if they're not great ball handlers you have some big concerns about them but I mean that's that, that's the one that's one area where I think that that it still applies but but in general I think that's uh, you know the the, the, t- the tweener tag is something that has kind of flipped to actually a positive thing in a lot of ways.
1: With the league going a little smaller now, it seems that way, especially you mentioned the Warriors, Draymond Green playing the one through the five, each position. When you're seeing some big men here in this draft, do you think the trend is going towards less traditional big men in a sense for teams? you feel like more teams are going to start going smaller, which means the big men are not going to be the hot commodity that they used to be in the NBA draft?
2: Yeah, I think so. But I also think that too, some of that is just out of necessity that you just don't have as many conventional, traditional big guys coming into the draft. So you, I mean, you have to use what's available. You can't, you know, invent a guy and say, okay, we're looking for a a post up seven two guy who plays with his best back to the basket if there simply isn't one out there. So you you see like even even some of the big guys that come out now. they're a lot more skilled and they're a lot more, um, adept at playing away from the basket. It seems like, um, maybe 10, 15 years ago, a lot of the European players or international guys, big guys that came into the draft were that way. And it, it almost became kind of a stereotype, like, okay, well, this guy is 6'10", seven foot and he can shoot. So he's, he's plays a European style, but I actually feel like that's becoming kind of the style for everyone now is that even the, a lot of the American big guys, um, can can make mid range shots or even perimeter shots and just have a lot more skill, you know, whether it's around the basket or even out on the floor a little bit.
1: I want to go back to we talked about certain physical traits that maybe now really doesn't matter just based on how the NBA is changing, but I also want to go to, back to talking about people who are not strong enough because you see a lot of guys that come from college that are really not strong. Is that even sure. should that even be a concern anymore with just how NBA teams and uh, training staffs and medical staffs? I mean, you see, guys, look at Anthony Davis, how much he's bulked up mm. in his four years in the league or three years in the league. I mean, does that even matter anymore as far as the strength, as far as at the beginning is a concern Because you know that they're probably going to bulk up at some point? I
2: think teams think about it still, and I think you have to factor it in a little bit. And it also depends quite a bit, I think, on what position a guy plays. If you are a power forward or you're going to be playing in the paint a little bit more, you do need more bulk and more muscle to be able to hold your ground. But I think one of the funny examples that that people go back to a lot now is I think it was 06 or 07 when Durant was drafted, and everyone said there was a big furor a couple days before the draft because it was reported that he couldn't bench press. I can't remember what it was. Mm -hmm. Couldn't bench press 150 or something like that, and everybody thought that that was ridiculous that he wasn't strong enough to do that. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter. And I I think, you know, obviously I'm not – going to compare um Brandon Ingram to Durant and no one will at this point but it's funny you hear the same thing about Brandon Ingram who a lot of people think is going to be the number two pick yeah he's definitely going to go one or two but you hear people say you know he's real skinny he's not strong enough but it's one of those things where it makes you wonder like you alluded to does it really matter I mean if you're strong enough to hold the basketball and you can put it in the basket repeatedly the way Durant can um I don't think it matters and like he Every player bulks up, as you said, as their career goes on, and as you get into your 20s, you kind of naturally put weight on, just by becoming, you know, just by getting older. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think that there's, I think skill is more important than mm-hmm. than muscle and and bulk is definitely, in, especially as the game goes more towards the way we've seen it go, where it's faster and it's up up tempo more.
1: Let's ask Steph Curry about that. You know, yeah, being another strong, good example. Yeah, very skinny. Small guy coming into the league. A lot of people worried about his ankles too, but people were still worried about his strength and things like that.
2: You know, it's funny with him, I think about this sometimes is like it's there's a certain mechanics to shooting that I think about kind of comparable to pitching. Some of the guys that you see that can throw the hardest in baseball that can throw like high nineties aren't super big. Mm -hmm. And I can't explain it. You know more about baseball than I do, but it's funny how you know, certain guys don't have the strength in basketball to, to take 30, 35-footers the way Curry does without changing their shot at all. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to do. If anyone's tried to get on an NBA court and shoot NBA threes, it's it's not a comfortable motion. And nope. it's amazing to me that somebody like Curry, who, like you said, is not super strong, is not one of those you know um, guys that you think spends all day in the gym lifting weights, he can shoot 35, 40-footers without changing his shot at all. It's a, such a natural motion. It's just so interesting the way that works, and, and uh, you know it's, it's something that I, I can't explain. I'm sure someone who knows biomechanics and stuff like that can, but it's a, it's a really interesting aspect to his his game.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to try to get into that. That's <laughs> for sure. Not in my pay grade. Um, I want to talk about the age um, dilemma a little bit. I think there is one as far as and we, we'll talk about this with Stu Jackson a little bit as well. The difference in guys that are coming into the league, like Brandon Ingrams, the Ben Simmons, who are 18, 19. Mm-hmm. Then you have the guys like Buddy Heald, um, who stayed all four years, 21 or 22. Um, it seems like a lot of the the trend is that people might stay away from the older guys, even if they have similar skill set to the 18 or 19-year-olds. Sure. What are you seeing as far as the trend, as far as the age dilemma, I should say?
2: Well, you know, let me put it this way. I understand... I understand the idea that if a guy, if it took him three or four years and as a senior um, he put up similar numbers to another guy who did the same thing as a freshman at 18 or 19 years old. I understand the, the idea that, you know, if all things are equal, maybe you think the 19-year-old the has more potential more upside to improve. But I also think there's been a trend the last few years where some of the guys who did play four years and, you know – Came into the NBA at 22. Have been some of the best guys to come into the league and some of the best draft picks. If you look at CJ McCollum, he played four years at Lehigh. He just won Most Improved Player of the Year in the NBA. So um, Damian Lillard played four years. I think it was at, at Weber State. Kawhi Leonard played a couple. I think he played three or four years total in, in college, um, San Diego State. Um, some of these guys. The the idea, the notion that because you're 22 and you played four years in college means that you can't improve, I think is definitely a fallacy because you see a, a lot of guys that have done it. So I don't necessarily agree with the, the, I definitely don't agree with the idea that if you're, that you're a finished product when you're 21 or 22, simply because we've seen a ton of guys who have defied that over the last couple of years. I do get the point that, you know, if, if you, if you look at two guys, you have exactly this doesn't happen very often, but if you have exactly the same evaluation, like you're dead even on should we take this guy or that guy, I understand the part about you know you might take the younger guy because he has more room to to improve and and that kind of thing, and also the idea too that a 19 year old is playing against a lot of college players that are older than him, whereas mm-hmm. a 22 year old is playing against guys that are younger than him and, and less experienced. So from that standpoint, the 22 year old should be better. If all things are equal against college competition but um it's a it's definitely an interesting thing. I do feel like it's gone a little bit too far where it's like some some people the some of the stuff you read it's almost like any nineteen year old is better than any twenty one or twenty two year old which I think when it gets to that point is is definitely people have to take a step back and think think things through a little bit more.
1: What about when you're looking at these guys and you you talk about the four year guys? Um, as far as taking the time to develop, and they don't have much time. They really won't improve that much when they get to the NBA. But if you have the same guy, similar skill set, but one's in his fourth year, one's in his first year. Well, can you also look at it from the perspective of you're not going to take that much time in the NBA to kind of get acclimated or it might not take you that much time to grow as a player where you yeah. could be more of a project player? There's certain instances like the LeBrons and Kevin Durant's that play one year, Carl Melo Anthony, that make an impact right away. Mm-hmm. But if you're still looking at some guys and not so sure um, how long it might take, but he has the potential to be really good, that some of these guys, it'll take less time for them to develop and improve that small leap instead of maybe two or three years with a guy that's only been in college for a year.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And I think one of the things that people ne- don't necessarily realize about the NBA is, until you're around it and you see all of the different demands off the court, you see the travel, you see everything that goes into it is the maturity part of it. And I think, like you said, there's a million exceptions to where, I mean, there's some guys that are 16 that are more mature than 25 year olds. I mean, you can't make blanket statements, mm-hmm. but I think a guy who spends three or four years in college on average is, has more maturity at 22 than a guy who played one year in college and is 19. And I think that maturity carries over into a lot of things in terms of decision-making, whether it's making sure that you get enough rest because you're about to go on like a four-game road trip. Um, It's, I think, uh, the coaching that you get, depending on the school, obviously, it it varies from place to place. But if you got really good coaching over four years in college, I think that's an advantage over one year in college for obvious reasons. And so I think there are a lot of ways – that the experience that you get in getting a 22 year old who played four years is an advantage from the standpoint of that you're not you're not you're not starting at square one necessarily with a 19 year old but you're further along in a lot of ways and there's a lot I think there are um, certain things that you don't need to, to go through with a guy If he understands some of the basic stuff of how to, to get his career started and some of the elementary things that you shouldn't have to, to tell a, an adult, I think, you know, that that does go, go a long way, especially if you, like you said, you're trying to win right now. And especially if you have a team that has hopes of making the playoffs and you're not in the mode of the Sixers where you're like, eh, you know, best case, we're going to win 25 games. Right. It's not the end of the world if we don't bleed every single win possible out of this team because we're not going to be in the playoffs either way.
1: And that kind of goes into our next topic about, I mean, you can try to interview these guys you can see them work out you can talk to them for as long as you want you can try to predict where how they might be in the nba but besides the rare guys like the lebrons the Durant's, the carmel anthony's the chris Pauls, none of these guys are a sure thing none of these guys once you hit that certain situation whether it's what team you're on how you're coached your philosophy your own mindset as a player once you get into the league i mean it's not a guarantee and we've seen it plenty of times with how many guys have busted in top Mm -hmm. 10 picks. Um, Some guys have thrived like the Draymond greens in the second round. Nothing's a sure thing when it comes to the draft. And there's so many, I think now there's even more, I should say reasons for guys to fail just as much as they can succeed. Yeah.
2: I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I think one thing that's important to do in fairness, before you talk about any draft that's about to happen, or if you go back, especially if you go back in hindsight and look at drafts, is to point out that this is not easy by any stretch. I mean, there's so many different things that can happen that um, cause teams to make bad decisions or incorrect decisions. Or um, And really, you can only obviously go with the information that you have in front of you at the time. You can't look ahead five years and say, okay, we think this is going to happen because you don't know. And I think one of the things that I've talked about with different people over the years from the front office here as well as other places is just – it's one of the things that is so important and so difficult to do is to project um, off the court what a guy's going to be like and what he's going to do. I, and I'm not necessarily talking about, like, does he get in trouble, does he cause problems, but um, there's a lot of things that can affect a guy's, you know, the way he, he um, approaches being an NBA player. One of them is money. There's That's probably the biggest one that teams have to think about is, you know, a guy can – can be in the gym all day as he's trying to become an NBA player. But once he gets his first contract and he's pretty much set for life with a lot of the, the contracts that these guys make, what does that do to him? Does he say I'm, even more like I want to prove that I deserve this money and I want to earn my next contract? Or does he say, I've made more, I've already made more money than I ever thought I would make in my whole life. So we'll, no big deal. I'm going to just do the minimum and kind of skate through. And if you do that, unless you're mega talented like the top top tier guys are your your career is not going to last very long and you're probably going to be a disappointment. So I think there's there's elements, I mean besides money, you you know the fame of it, the just just all the different things that come into play as you begin an NBA career. I think that's one of the toughest things for NBA teams to evaluate and judge and try to pr- predict is is what what is this guy's character? What's his how much integrity does he have? You know, what's his work ethic? And another thing too that comes into play especially with some of the big guys that are coming into the draft is there's a lot of not I don't want to say a lot but there's a there's a segment of big guys seven footers um, guys that are around that that size that play because someone told them you're big you need to play basketball mm-hmm. this is how you can make a, a, a living um, there's there's a segment of the big guys that don't love to play and I think that's another thing that you really have to look at with players coming in is you have to factor in and try to figure out, this is not a, it's not like there's a scale for this or some test that they can take, but you have to figure out how much does this guy love to play because the guys who really love to play are the people who are going to be in the gym all the time. They're going to be in there in the summer. They're going to get better from year to year. The players who don't enjoy playing and are only out there because, I want to say only, but a, a large reason they're out there is because they know that this is the best way they can make money. Are tend to be the guys that don't work on their game, and those are the players that you see who don't improve from year to year. So, I mean, all these things you have to factor in, and I think that's why being a draft decision maker, even though a lot of people sit at home and say, like, man, I would love to be a GM, that's, that's my dream job. I think in, in actuality it's a lot harder than people make oh. it out to be. As you can see by you know year after year, there's, there's, there's busts and there's guys that just never pan out in the draft.
1: We'll get to Stu Jackson in a few minutes here um, because he has a lot of good stuff talking about the draft process and evaluating talent from a coach's perspective and a GM's perspective. One more quick topic before we go into our guest. I want to ask about a lot of people love, which is fine, to grade these drafts right after they're done. Like Friday, people come out with their draft grades. I mean, how long? I think it takes a little bit longer to figure it out. I think you need to wait to see how they pan out but how many yeah. years do you give it before you maybe grade a draft class or figure out that maybe this is not going to work with a guy or, wow, we really hit a home run with this? How long do you, does it take for you, in your own opinion, um, to grade a draft class or just to say what the Pelicans do on Thursday?
2: You know what's funny? As much as I, and I totally agree with you about that, it's unfair. It's funny to see the draft grades come out the day after the draft. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the people that reads all of them. I love that stuff. I read it too, but (laughs) I I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, but but to answer your question, I mean, I think as time goes on and you see rookie class after rookie class, year after year go by, you realize that a huge fallacy, a huge mistake is to grade them even after one year Yeah. because there's so many guys that, depending on the circumstances of whether they got to play, whatever their situation is, that they – you can't evaluate them. It's unfair. It's just not possible. Um, I would say maybe three years would be when you start to say you can evaluate. And I I could see people making the case for two because at that point you have to start making the decision on whether you pick up that, that team option year. So, I mean, teams themselves have to, have to after two years, they have to start saying, like, do we want to commit to this player even if we drafted him in the lottery or whatever. So um, So, yeah, I would say – I guess my answer to make a long story short would be you can do it after two years, I think, but three years is probably the minimum to fairly give give grades and give evaluations on how how effective a team was in drafting and how, how good a, a draft class was.
1: But like you mentioned, we'll both be looking at draft grades on Friday and be like, all right, we got a good <laughs> grade, or oh man, we got a bad grade. Right, so. right. Uh, This should be interesting. Um, One guy that does uh, tons of mock drafts, and his is changing by the day here as we get closer to the draft, is Chad Ford, ESPN insider, covers the NBA for ESPN. He joins us now um, to kind of give us a little preview of the NBA draft. Chad, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. Let's talk about this Pelicans team to start off. Number six pick in the draft also has 39 and 40 in the second round. In your eyes, what positions do the Pelicans need to focus on in this year's draft?
3: Well, I think their backcourt is where they're going to start. Uh, you've got guys like Eric Gordon who are going to be a free agent. You've got Drew Holiday who has one year left on on his contract, but has struggled with injuries the last couple of years. and And, and this is a draft where I think you can focus on your on your backcourt a little bit. There's going to be players, whether it's a Chris Dunn, whether it's a Jamal Murray out of Kentucky, whether it's a Buddy Hield out of Oklahoma, that all seem like they're really good fits. Uh, in New Orleans. Now, there's there's other ways that they could go. Small forwards, another position where, they, again, they could use some depth. Uh, but I think that most likely, I think for New Orleans, we'll see them either select a point guard or a two guard.
1: The sixth pick is kind of an interesting pick just based on the talent level that we have in this year's draft, even at the guard position. So if you're New Orleans or even any team that top six, do you go by best available when you get the pick number six, or do you go by the position in need?
3: I think you go best available, but uh, one way that a lot of teams look at this and and, and that I'm particularly fond of is that that you rank the draft in tiers. And so that you look and say, okay, these guys in tier one, okay, they're going to be a superstar in the NBA. I think there's just one guy in this draft that fits that qualification. I think that's Ben Simmons. Then number two is a guy that could be an all-star in the NBA someday. Uh, That's sort of tier two. Again, I think there's only one guy sitting there right now that really looks like He's that sort of player, and that's Brandon Ingram out of Duke. And then, and then tier three is for guys that you think will be starters, capable starters in the NBA, uh, option, you know, second option, third option, fourth option on a team, but a regular starter. And then I think there's about five or six players in that draft. We mentioned three of them. The others are big. Dragan Bender out of Croatia, Marquise Chris um, out of Washington. And you take those guys, and maybe Jalen Brown out of Cal, and now you look at them and say, okay, these are all sort of equivalent players. We think that their ceiling is going to be something like a starter in the NBA. And then you draft based out of that tier on need. Now you never go down and say, okay, we really need a center, but there's no centers in tier tier three, so we'll dip down in the at a center. Uh, you shouldn't do that. That's that's I think drafting for need uh, over talent, but. I think that when you group players that way, instead of just grouping them as their pick number one or pick number two or pick number three in a draft, if you, do, if you group them that way, I think it gives you some flexibility and a sort of feeling like, okay, not going to pass on the third best player in the draft for the 12th best player in the draft, but it might be okay to pass on the third best player in the draft for the fifth best player in the draft if they're equivalent talent.
2: Chad, certainly when a team is picking six, I think one of the things that we spend a lot of time talking about is how the first five picks are going to go for obvious reasons to figure try to figure out who's going to be available. Is there anybody that maybe could jump into the top five that maybe might surprise people that would kind of throw the the order or the availability of players off?
3: I, I think that we're at right now, picks three to seven and eight. I, I would be very surprised if we're going to see uh, much movement there. I, I think that Marquise Chris is a guy that's moved into that conversation over the last couple of weeks. And so he's a guy that might end up jumping even higher into the top three or four, which would obviously push another player down. But for the most part, it's been pretty stable now for several months and I'd be really surprised that it changed in the last week. And so I think that that group, of players that the Pelicans are going to be selecting from will be very, and two or three of them will be off the board and they'll have the choice of two or three guys that are still in that tier. Mm.
2: Um, Obviously everybody is, you know, focused a lot on the the fact that the Pelicans have the sixth pick, but they're also, they also have two picks early in the second round at 39 and 40. Just wondering what your, what are your thoughts on how deep this draft is and, and the possibility of being able to get somebody that could, that could be real valuable or somebody that could really help you at um, picks 39 and 40 for this team.
3: 39 and 40 are, are are tough. I, I will say this, that from about pick nine to pick 35, you're talking about guys that I think have a really good shot at being solid rotation players in the NBA, probably guys that come off the bench as the sixth man, seventh man, eighth man on a good team. And there's a lot of value there. If you get a guy like that in the 20s, or the 30s, that's, that's really good value for your draft pick. But it starts to cut off after that. But there, I think there's one sort of saving grace in this draft is that there's a lot of interesting prop of young international players that decided to keep their name in the draft. I don't think all of them are going to uh, be drafted uh, in the first round. And the ability to have a player in Europe that you can basically draft and stash, keep them over there for a year or two, or three, let them continue to develop, get playing time, and then bring them over when you think that they're ready to handle the rigors of the NBA. It's been a successful model that the Spurs have employed, uh, the Bulls have employed, other teams have employed to a lot of success. And and I think that there's going to be some opportunities in that range for New Orleans to select one or maybe even two international players and just let them be patient, let them develop over time, and then you bring them when they're ready to play.
1: Real quick, before I let you go, five years from now, who is the best player coming out of this draft? I think it's
3: Ben Simmons. Uh, I do think that Simmons needs a team that recognizes what he is, and what he is, in my opinion, is a 6'10", 240-pound point guard. And that's a very unique thing uh, in the NBA. But if you recognize that, if you surround him with the right players, if you surround him with shooters, and you let him have the ball in his hands, I think that he could be a dominant player in the NBA. But he's going to have to have a coach that's willing to play him that way. He's going to have to have a general manager that so much believes in Ben Simmons that they put the right players around him to really put him in a position to succeed. But if that happens, I think he could be not just an all-star, but a superstar in the NBA.
1: Good stuff there. That's Chad Ford, ESPN NBA insider. Uh, Chad, we really appreciate the time and enjoy the draft. All
3: right, take care, guys.
1: Really big thanks to uh, Chad Ford. You can, of course, uh, check out his mock drafts um, leading up to tomorrow because I'm sure it will change in the next 24 hours or so. It's already been changing this week, so it will be interesting to see who he has um, coming for the Pelicans at pick number six. Time to get a coach and a GM perspective on the draft, maybe different ways to evaluate talent. Now let's welcome in Stu Jackson. Spent 13 years as the Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations. For the NBA, also a former GM of the then Vancouver Grizzlies, also a former New York Knicks coach, also a college coach, and now is an NBA analyst for NBA TV. Stu, really appreciate you coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me. No problem. Stu, uh, put your coach's hat on for a second here. As a head coach, you're not scouting these college kids much during the season because you're focusing on coaching your team. As a former coach, what do you look at most when trying to evaluate young talent?
4: Well, you bring up an excellent point. I mean, first and foremost, as a coach, you have to uh, really rely and trust, um, you know, your franchise uh, scouting staff as well as the general manager and his staff uh, to because you haven't seen a great many of these players uh, throughout the season. But, you know, what I would really focus in on much, and I think the mentality of most coaches, is you want to draft players that – you think can either help you immediately or you see potential down the road but with a focus on drafting players that you think are more concerned about winning improving individually and the work that it takes to do that and you know focus in on how you see them fitting within the confines of your locker room are they going to be a good teammate Um, That first and foremost are attributes that you, as a coach, you focus in on, and don't necessarily take, you know, um, one, two, three, four years of evaluating skill level. You want to try to get a feel for the player and who the person is.
1: So a lot of that comes with some of the interviews you were able to get with the player during the off season. But when you're trying to find skill set, like you mentioned. Um, what's the best way or what's the most effective way for you when you're trying to evaluate young talent as far as maybe you use a lot of the combine, uh, a lot of tape, game tape on these guys? What's the best, or not the best, I would say, what would you say is the most effective as far as evaluating these guys skill set-wise during the off season?
4: Yeah, the most efficient way to evaluate skill set in a short amount of time is to do it through video review. And with today's technology, you know, a coach who hasn't seen a player you know, play over his college career uh, for one, two, three years, can get a condensed version of that very quickly uh, with the technology available and, you know, broken down into skill set and even broken down into, you know, whether the person offensively goes left a certain amount of times or right a certain amount of times, rebounds that he gets within his area, without his area. Uh, how he defends on pick and rolls, how he defends in the post. So you can get a pretty good feel um, for you know, a player based upon tape review. But again, what you can't find off a of tape there are things like his heart, his competitiveness, competitiveness his uh, willingness to make winning plays, how he fits in the locker room, and what kind of teammate he'll be.
2: Stu, there seems to be, especially in the last few years, there's been a lot of discussion about kind of the pros and cons of drafting a guy who's one and done versus guys that have maybe played four years in college and might be 22 or 23. Seems like you're starting to hear people say, or scouts, or maybe draft analysts say, you know, that teams downgrade a guy if he's 22 because maybe the same guy um, compared to a 19-year-old doesn't have as much room to to improve. How do, you, how do you see that, that um, dynamic right now? Is, is, that, is that something – like, for example, too, um, C.J. McCollum played four years in college, and he won Most Improved Player this year in the NBA. So I wonder, like, how – what your perspective is on that kind of discussion right now.
4: You know, I, I didn't ever put much stock in a player's age unless he was coming out of college – uh, on, in those special situations where you'll sit, find a four-year player that's 24 years older and above. Mm. But you bring up an excellent point about C.J. McCollum, and I'll bring up another point. You take a player like Chris Dunn from Providence College who you know, ha- has been there for four years, and, you know, has graduated, but I think has some of the most upside of any player in the draft Uh, The same is the upside that you would attach to somebody like Brandon Ingram. I mean, Chris Dunn, and I know I probably sound biased in my current position here at the Big East, (laughs) but in an unbiased way, I will tell you, he is nowhere near being the type of point guard today that he will be in, say, two, three years from now as he gets bigger and stronger and understands the NBA system from the point guard position. You add that to the fact that he's athletic, he's long um, you know, and very bouncy uh, and someone that's a gym rat and really is thirsty to improve. And there you have the qualities of a player that's going to have great upside, even at the age of 22.
2: Hmm. Um, as far as um, some of the, the international players, it seems like there's been kind of a wave back in both directions over the last maybe 10 or 15 years where there's a stretch there where it seems like teams are really high on a lot of the international guys. Then there was a, a stretch, maybe of a few years, where some of the guys that got picked really high didn't didn't turn out to didn't pan out really. Um, how do you assess this year's crop of international players? And do you feel like, in general, that is it is it kind of trending back towards you know maybe after the way Kristaps uh, Porzingis played last year, is it trending back towards um, an upward type situation with the international guys and the European guys?
4: No, I, I don't think it's trending to international players per se. In other words, not to just – I don't see teams drafting one just to have one because they're bigger or better. Mm-hmm. I see teams that are interested in international players just simply because the supply in one year given another year is better. And this year it happens to be a very good supply of international players where you could find upwards to 25% of the draft uh, you know, players being selected are going to be international. Uh, and, you know, on top of that, there are a great number of international players with size. So I don't think it's a function necessarily of, you know, just to have one or whether they're better than domestic players. I think it's a function of the skill available in one particular year. And this year just happens to be a very good one.
1: Stu, you have some teams that have built teams. From the ground up, as far as draft picks, you have the Sixers that are trying to do that right now, stocking up on a lot of draft picks. You also see teams that sort of build through free agency. Um, As a former GM, which route do you prefer, or does it kind of depend on the franchise and where they're at at a particular time?
4: I think the latter. It really depends on where you are as a development franchise. You really have three ways with which to build a franchise, through the draft, through free agency, and through trade. But in all cases, Uh, you need to manage each of those areas as effectively as as the other. Uh, Certainly, Philadelphia has done a very good job of maintaining and collecting uh, draft picks, both in the first and second round. At the same time, they've also done a very good job at uh, managing their cap, uh, having a lot of that available uh, come this summer. And you add the draft picks and the cap space, and you've got the availability to also utilize trade so on all three areas if you're Philadelphia you've got great flexibility and not all franchises have that but if you're a franchise that's just building you know for the future I really think the bedrock um, of any franchise is really two things and that is your one your ability to, to participate and make selections in the draft and then secondly what you do with draft picks, or minor league players like D league players, in terms of developing those players into assets of higher value. Uh, those two items, I think, are very key in the real bedrock of developing a franchise if you expect to get to a championship level.
1: Let's focus on the Pelicans real quick. Um, what positions do you think they need to address in the draft and also maybe in free agency coming up right after?
4: Well, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, given their. You know situation now in their free agency situation. Uh, certainly, they may want to, if they don't resign Ryan Anderson, get a stretch four, stretch fours in the NBA, or something of a real coveted commodity. And you you need one in this day and age. Um, you know, uh, you know, I don't, uh, you know, given the injury situation, what happens, uh, you know, with their small forward position. I mean, getting that sort of key you know, slasher, small forward, perimeter shooter, defender uh, for the future, you know, that may be a priority. And you look at somebody like um, uh, Jalen Brown down the road. Um, So, I mean, those are two positions that just off the top of my head uh, seem to be areas where they need.
1: That's Stu Jackson. TV analyst for NBA TV. You can catch him all throughout this week as far as draft coverage leading up to Thursday's draft on June 23rd. Stu, we really appreciate the time and enjoy the draft on Thursday.
4: Yeah, thank you much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Well, we just heard from Stu Jackson from NBA TV. Now we get, a, I guess, a local and national perspective from our very own Joel Myers, television voice of the New Orleans Pelicans on Fox Sports New Orleans, also hosting on Sirius NBA XM Radio from 9 to 12 central time joel we're almost there to the draft how you doing sir it's
0: about time isn't it daniel
1: it's about time it's yeah about time.
0: i mean i love the playoffs but it seems like it's been months since we've played unfortunately i know so i can't wait
1: yeah we're looking forward to it um we were just talking to Stu jackson as i mentioned and he was talking about the foundation of building a team and he likes to build through the draft so with the pelicans having the sixth pick and also picks 39 and 40 how important is this draft for new orleans
0: yeah of immediate concern to get a starter at the sixth pick. In, in my estimation, somebody that can come in and help right away. So because two starters, or at least starters minutes, Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson, it's up in the air, it, whether or not they're going to be back, unrestricted free agents. So you need to plug somebody in because you have Drew at the one, AD at the four, hopefully Quincy Pondex for at the three. So the immediate concern to me is the two spot. And, and that should be a priority, and that's what... The club is is kind of focused on anyway and all the guys that have been in. When you talk about the Pelicans, it seems like you're talking about backcourt guys like Dunn, Heald, as well as Jamal Murray. So I think everybody's on the same page, that you need to plug somebody in that can be of immediate help, if not um, a ton of minutes. And it may not be a ton of minutes, but at least a starter and maybe 20 to 25 minutes in the rotation. Joel, you
2: know, we've been looking forward to – I've been looking forward to – Talking to you, kind of breaking down, we're going to get into the, the top five uh, picks of the draft. Obviously, with everyone trying to guess what the Pelicans are going to do, we can't really do that until you know or have some kind of idea of what the five teams before them picking are going to do. I guess we can start with uh, one of our favorite teams and one of the teams that I think everyone's spent hours and hours and and weeks talking about over the last couple of years, and, and, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers with the first pick. What do you think? I mean, I think I, I think people um, have kind of a, kind of a, a consensus maybe with where they're going to go. But what are your thoughts? I guess now is you kind of see this as it's kind of a chance. Obviously, they have a new regime. It's kind of the opportunity to to not start from square one, but just kind of turn the page and, and start with a start fresh, kind of with a new uh, front office and a, and a new obviously number one pick overall.
0: Yeah, and, and Jim, they want to. They want to plug somebody in that's going to be immediate help, and, and the top two guys are both 19. So they're also projects. They're development guys. It's not like, well, I just mentioned Buddy Hill. Buddy Hill is is a man already. He's played a lot of college basketball. He's ready to go. But when you look at the Sixers and the Lakers, and especially to the Sixers, as much as everybody says Ben Simmons, well, what if Brandon Ingram's the next Kevin Durant? Mm. And then it goes back to that draft and... and Granted, Odin didn't have a chance because of injuries, but everybody had a pretty good idea. Kevin Durant, after one year at Texas, was legit, and he was going to be an NBA player. And I think a lot of people have that same feeling about Brandon Ingram, even though he's slight of build, uh, the, the kid can flat-out shoot. Yeah. And he's a commodity that you need, because he's he's also a guy who can shoot threes. So he's, he's six, a legit 6'9". Simmons got a lot of work. He's a great ball handler, great court vision. We all saw it at LSU. So if you flip-flop those two, one or the other, and and who's to say, the Lakers, and we hear all the speculation with the Lakers, or potentially, if the Lakers have kids already, they've got mm-hmm. three in, in their starting lineup, uh, do they want a fourth? And we always hear about the Lakers and the Wolves. With the Wolves, with a new regime, and all the youngsters they have in that lineup, do they need another young, young guy? So... As much as we talk about both those teams, one and two, and then even five, what if there's a deal? And the needs of the team that's making the deal with them is totally different. So as we read the situation, it could change on draft night because of trades and established veterans like a Jimmy Butler, whoever it might be, going in a deal somewhere else.
2: You think if you're the Sixers, I know people always look at, you know, they have a completely different group of people running things now. That you kind of, if you're if you're them, you kind of, you're not you're not completely starting from scratch, but you look at it like, you know, we're not going to worry about position, we're not going to worry about fit, we're going to just take the guy that we think is the best guy, and really, it seems like everything is on the table for them. That there's not really anything set in stone. That they could conceivably, you know, trade anyone that's on on the roster right now, potentially, right? Without
0: a doubt. Uh, and, and that's why we've heard all these stories when it comes to the Sixers about Noel and Okafor being on the market. Yeah. So they don't have locked in guys, bottom line. They really don't. And they need a lead, which Simmons could be a point forward for him and a ball handler. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got a long way to go on a shot. Sure. And Brian Colangelo has said he wants to start to get a culture of winning right now because of what's developed there over the last three years with their their tankology program, <laughs> so the redshirt program there. And we <laughs> they don't even know about Joel Embiid.
2: Right. Uh, and
0: yeah, that's I the saw, one guy
2: they're betting on. I saw recently that they said that he also isn't going to be playing in Summer League this no. year. So, I mean, it's got to be at a certain point you got to just be so frustrated as a as a fan of that team that you want to see that guy play. You know, even in even in Summer League, it seems like it's, what is it, three years in now that he has still hasn't played, this so be it's frustrating. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's it's really strange the way things are handled now, to the point where not that you're pampering them, but you're not developing them. If he's only playing three on three in a controlled right. atmosphere, and he's mm-hmm. not playing five on five in competition, it's kind of strange the way it's all evolved. Right. Uh, and maybe the the mindset, the mentality of front offices in this day and age. So, Pelicans are in a pretty good position. Pelicans, they at least have two, really talented players, Mm -hmm. Anthony and Drew, and then add to that. So as we talk about uh, components, we just saw the NBA Finals and the conclusion of the NBA Finals, you need two or three. And then you add to that. Well, the Pelicans already have two. Now hopefully a third comes and who knows when it comes to 39 and 40, obviously, because Draymond Green wasn't far away from there, was he? When he was taking 35th overall. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of potential for the Pels. Sure. A lot of potential, and I'm glad with the addition to the front office as well. Danny Ferry, extra set of eyes, and a very successful GM in this league.
2: No doubt, no doubt. So I think I, I think people, as we kind of go through this list and we go through some of the spots before the Pelicans pick. I mean, I think everyone can kind of agree, unless something really strange happens, that you're looking at you know two different guys in that first and second spot. I mean, it, as far as I know, you're pretty you're familiar with the Lakers uh, from from being there back in the day. I mean, do you think they kind of look at it like, you know, I think a lot of teams thought that two was actually a good spot to be because you don't have the pressure of, of right. getting the number one pick. And they the Lakers are interesting, too, because they have, uh, you know, some young guys now that they have coming through the, the ranks with Russell and Randall and Clarkson. Um, it seems like with them it's it's kind of a, a no-lose situation. They're going to be able to add a guy that they can put in with that group of, of players and just kind of see what happens. I feel like they're kind of similar – to um, the Sixers in that you can't really worry about position or anything like that at this point. You're just trying to get as many good young guys as you can and then maybe figure out who's going to be part of that and who isn't, you know, maybe a year or two down the road. And they don't
0: have to make a decision on one of the three youngsters because Jordan Clarkson's restricted. Yeah. So somebody may make an offer that kind of restricts them. Sure. And no, we're, we like him, but we're not that interested with a former second-round pick out of Missouri. So then – if there is that situation and they're not going to know because the draft is coming seven days before the free agency period, yeah. the 23rd, uh, the, then it's going to be difficult whether or not and what they foresee. If they get word and everybody talks and agents know agents and, and front offices talk, mm-hmm. if they get word that somebody's going to be hot in pursuit of Clarkson, they may not going in, that they're not going to be able to match it. It's going to be restrictive as far as they're concerned because of what they want to do economically for a free agent. Sure. And they have enough for two max free agents still mm. with that roster. Brandon mm. and, and Brandon Bass is opting out. They've got uh, a couple of guys that are opting out of their contracts. So they have latitude economically, but then where do they prioritize? Obviously, sure. it's right now D'Angelo Russell and, and Julius Randle. But does Clarkson fit? Sure. And yeah. they may decide, well, I'd rather go with this long guy as a wing and if we can't keep Clarkson, we can't keep him. Yeah, if I, somebody's after him, that you know he's a big guard.
2: I think every, and he's a decent shooter. I think everyone, you know, you touched on this. Everyone around the league the last couple of years has really been kind of fascinated to see what they can pull off in free agency. And really, from their standpoint, unfortunately, they haven't really been able to get any of the the bigger names that they've gone to try to sign the last couple of years. The one thing I keep thinking about too with them is like, if you go there, if you're in a good situation um why would you take less money from the than the team that you're on to sign with them and so I think that's one of the things that I think is 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 interesting is it's a team that won you know not a lot of games this year so some of the some of the big name guys I know we don't want to get into specific names but uh, free agents but some of the guys that have been on good teams it, 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 it makes me scratch my head a little bit to think like why would they leave the team that they're on to make less money and play for a team that they know they're gonna win a lot fewer games but um, than they have in the past, in the recent past. But like I said, I think it's, uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting thing where people are going to be really watching them closely to see w- what they can pull off in free agency because they always are one of those teams that puts their their uh, hat in the ring, so to speak. Yeah,
0: Jim, I think they have a better shot next year, actually. Yeah. When you look at what's going to be available next year and guys that potentially grew up in that area, mm. uh, the one prospect right now who grew up in that area is DeMar DeRozan, but he's already said he'd like to stay in Toronto. Sure. And do you want to go to a lottery team, as you mentioned? Whether it's DeRozan or anybody else, we can go on the list of guys, the high-profile guys right now. But next summer, the free agent list is going to be more attractive and there's going to be uh, more options. So and it gives Russell and Randall an extra year to show somebody their body of work and they have the potential to increase their value. And I'm talking about the Lakers moving up in the standings. But right now I agree with you. It would be difficult to go there uh, as a free agent because you know you're a lottery team next year mm-hmm. once again.
1: Yep. As a team, uh, another team, but this one's on the uptick a little bit more. The Boston Celtics at pick number three uh, have three first-round picks, um, had a good showing there in the playoffs. But also the fact that I think, Joel, this could be where the dominoes could fall as far as if there's no trades leading up to number three. um, what could happen with the pelicans at six but i think it all falls on where boston goes with their pick at number three
0: well and i heard they were very high on jalen brown and jalen brown if you look at a couple of these he's anywhere from three to eight and then we've heard about sacramento in recent days how enamored they are with buddy healed i don't think buddy healed's going to be available at eight i don't think jalen brown jalen to me boston's in a position they want to get more athletic and they've got guards it would shock me if they took Chris Dunn, and I've seen that. But uh, from what I've heard, they really like Jalen Brown. And, in fact, they had Jalen Brown in for a second workout. Now, he's a sensational athlete out of Cal, needs work on his jumper, uh, but it's not bad now. So they want to get more athletic because when you look at Boston, with whether, and they have to make a decision on Sullinger this year. He's a restricted free agent. But Sullinger and Olenek, some of their bigs aren't real quick bigs. Mm-hmm. So when you look at J.L. Brown at 6'7", he's not a big, but he's a swing that can really run. And a sensational athlete. The best athlete of the bunch may be the kid out of Washington who's about 6'9", 6'10", but uh, he's back for a second look in Phoenix, and that is Marquise Chris. So between Brown, Chris, and Dragan Bender, the young man from Latvia that played over in Maccabi uh, in Tel Aviv mm-hmm. this past year, Those are the guys that you look at, and you sprinkle them in with the guards, and that's why I feel like there will be one of the three, Dunn, Heald, or Murray, on the board when the Pelicans pick, because there are certain teams that still feel that strongly, and Boston included, about Jalen Brown as well as a guy like Dragan Bender.
1: What about potentially a Boston moving at number three since they have two first round picks. Do you think they stay put with number three or is it possible that maybe they try to move one of their later first round picks and keep the third?
0: Yeah, they can't, they're not going to keep three. And if anything, they're going to do a stash and with one of the later ones, 23 or 26, then they take a Euro. And and that's the potential for the Pelicans as well with one of their second round picks with 39 or 40, take a Euro and keep them over there. A who's 18 or 19, will let them dart 19 and let them develop. And wait a year or two. Mm-hmm. Let him cut his teeth over there and then come in. And that, and that's what Philadelphia is obviously trying to convince Dario Saric to do. Come in this year after a couple of years over there. He was drafted. But if he stays, and you have to consider this as well, if he stays a, a, a third year in Europe, Saric is like Miritich was when he came to Chicago. He's no longer under the restrictions of a rookie contract. Gotcha. So after three years, then all of a sudden, he's still property of, Mm -hmm. but it's not a rookie-scale deal, then it's cut-your-own-deal.
1: Let's move to the Phoenix Suns at number four. They seem like a team that could go many different ways, too, also with the fourth pick.
0: Well, I've heard they're trying to move one of their guards. So whether it's Knight or Bledsoe, who both have five for 70, and Bledsoe maybe a little bit higher than that, and those deals just started. So there's still four years remaining for both players. So I heard they're trying to move one of them because obviously they're, uh, Devin Booker's going to be the starting two guard for many years to come. Mm. So whether it's Bledsoe or Knight on the lead, and Bledsoe to me is a better lead than Knight, uh, but I've heard uh, just over the last couple of weeks they're trying to move one of their two guards. So uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't take a Chris, Marquis Chris out of Washington, or a Drakenbender, if one of those two is on the board. That would They need some help there. Uh, the kid out of Maryland is not developed as quickly as they thought Alex Lynn. But at least they have Tyson Chandler, and Tyson played well over the last, I'd say, third of the season. He got healthy, and he looked like the old Tyson Chandler.
2: You know, um, I think a lot of people are in agreement with with exactly what you said about Boston and Phoenix, that really if you look at their rosters right now, it makes a lot more sense to take a big guy than it does a guard. It seems like both of those teams, I mean, Phoenix has had had so many guards that they've tried to, to put on the court to the point where they had to trade, you know, they had to trade Isaiah Thomas and they had to, and they traded uh Goran Dragic. I mean, so, but Minnesota is picking fifth and, um, obviously they have one of the best big guys in the league with towns. And then they have Wiggins who also was a rookie of the year. To me, there's, they're really an inter- interesting team right now because obviously they have a guy who's uh, their new head coach is a guy who's been really successful and they have a, a, you know, an excellent core right now that they can build around. Um, do you see them, uh, I guess, what do you see them, th- how do you see them thinking about this draft? I mean, it seems like shooting is one thing that they really need and one thing that they've been kind of towards the bottom of the league in the last couple of years.
0: Well, they need a shooter. There's no question about that. And whether Zach Levine's that guy down the road, you know, or whether they're going to try to convert him into a lead and move Ricky Rubio, you see, the potential is they would, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they moved the pick and Rubio for a star. Mm. An established star. yeah. Because they have enough youth already. They've got Wiggins and Cat. They're they're cornerstones of the franchise moving forward. And then Zach Levine, who's a phenomenal athlete and only getting better. Rubio is the question mark. So Rubio's contract with three years remaining on it is doable because it's only about 12 a year. And it wouldn't be a shock to me if they went for a guard and tried to move Rubio and also potentially tried to move the pick and Rubio for an established player. So if they don't get what they want with the trade, uh, they may take a guard just for the mere fact that Rubio's got a doable contract in this economy, uh, and it's not overwhelming, and then somebody else can buy into it. I'm not a guy that's buying into it yet until he proves to me that he can hit a 15-footer consistently. Sure, I love his game. love the way he plays D, uh, tries a willing defender, Great court vision, uh, but he's got to be more consistent as a shooter. So sure. uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he was at a part of a package that included uh, the the draft pick. So they're all over the place as far as I'm concerned when mm-hmm. it comes to Minnesota. They've got a great nucleus of young. That's why it wouldn't shock me if they tried to get a veteran. Uh, but the veteran that Chicago's willing to move is Derrick Rose. It's not Jimmy Butler. They want to work with Jimmy Butler
2: right derrick
0: rose is the the one in the last year of his contract and he's a rental so you find out in one year at 21 million if derrick rose is going to be a part of your franchise
2: yeah it's it seemed like that one trade rumor that came up about jimmy butler going to minnesota potentially i think a lot of people really perked up when they heard that because they thought you know if you can put butler with those other two young guys that they have with wiggins and towns that's a pretty scary core going forward but it seemed it did seem like that was kind of that that rumor kind of went away quickly because people realized like you know it's not like the Bulls look at Jimmy Butler as somebody that they can just get rid of and it's no big deal I mean that guy's a, no. a great player. and they have
0: him under don't forget Jim he's under a decent contract
2: yeah you
0: right. know with four years remaining
2: mm-hmm.
0: and w- when everybody's talking about these these guys that are going to get anywhere from 15 to 20 a year then Jimmy Butler's contract and some of the others aren't that bad the right. the existing deals
1: mm-hmm Joel, you mentioned all these contracts, and some of them are a lot better than others. But how does the new CBA affect draft picks, as far as the value of those uh, coming into the season?
0: Well, it's uh, under the current CBA. It's very similar to what we saw with Anthony and some of the other guys. So uh, now the players have to make a decision whether they opt out. Current uh, cap is ninety four, and it was up a couple of million. The floor is eighty six point four million dollars. Mm-hmm. So and then the luxury tax is 107, I think it is, if I'm not oh. mistaken. And then it jumps; it's considerable the following year, Daniel. But they, the players can opt out of the current CBA. Okay. If everything is status quo and they decide to continue with the current CBA and lock in for another year, uh, that means they're making progress behind the scenes. Uh, but it's it, it, the rookie deals are not going to be impacted as much as the new free agents those are the ones and that's why ryan anderson and eric gordon are, are testing the waters the way they are and, and ready because you it only takes one as we all know and whether it's harrison barnes who is five for 32 over the last three games of the finals or somebody else somebody's going to be willing to pay
1: so do you think these draft picks since the rookie scale might not change that so much you think they're going to be more valuable with the new cba going up or do you think it's not well, yeah, going to impact because those are locked in right
0: those are, those are locked-in contracts. Those are doable. Those are, the first four years of a guy's career are, are heaven for the franchise. Right, no, And no. that's across the board. So the rookie deals are not going to be dramatically different, and they'll stay the same if the guys don't opt out. So we'll see what happens with the new CBA, but Adam Silver is leading us all to believe that behind the closed doors, the meetings have been a good process they've been productive and hopefully that's the case there but with the way the game is going now there should never ever be a work stoppage nobody will ever feel sorry for either side if there's a work stoppage in the nba now yeah
1: no doubt about that well said joel uh, appreciate the insight joel myers uh television play-by-play voice of the new orleans pelicans on fox sports New Orleans. you can also hear him on sirius xm nba radio and you can also hear joel on our nba draft show tomorrow night once the Pelicans pick has been made, we'll bring on Joel to give us his insight and maybe what can we expect from picks 39 and 40. Joel, as always, we appreciate the time, and we look forward to the draft tomorrow. Yeah, we'll have some fun, guys, and I'll see you at Mandina's. All right, so, Jim, I mean, we really hit a home run with the guest here with Chad Ford, Stu Jackson, and Joel Myers. Really appreciate them, and, uh, of course, as we mentioned, Joel will be back with us on the our radio draft show, which we'll talk about here uh, right now, actually, and then we'll talk about what uh, to look out for as far as Pelicans.com, the Pelicans mobile app with Jim, but tomorrow night, Thursday, the draft will start. I say around 6:40, maybe when the first pick will be announced. 6:35, 6:40. We're gonna do a Pelicans radio draft show on our flagship station, 99.5 WRNO. Sean Kelly, John the Shazer, myself, will be here, ready to go at six o'clock central with interviews with Dell Demps, Alvin Gentry, other uh, guys from the Pelicans staff. We'll bring in David Wesley, Joel Myers. Plenty of guests will stop by. Jim we will check in from New York. We'll hear from the draft picks as they are selected as far as the Pelicans are concerned. So once number six will be selected, unless a trade happens, we will get number six on the phone. Same with picks 39 and 40. So plenty of stuff on the Pelicans Radio Draft Show. And also a cool thing we're doing this year. We haven't done a show in a few years because of no draft picks. But we're also going to take your calls and your tweets. So you can tweet me at D Sallerson, Sean at Sean Kelly Live, and JD at John the Shazer. And we'll also take your phone calls. 504-593-4910 will be the number to call. And of course, I'll tweet that out um, on Thursday for you guys. So lots of great content. We're going through the whole draft. We're not just stopping at the end of the first round. We will go through the whole draft and then we'll hear from Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry afterwards. So we'll give you everything you need to need you need from picks one through 60 with lots of great guests in between. All right, Jim, you said you will be in New York. Um, You're heading up after this, and we'll be there for the draft. What can we expect on Pelicans.com and the Pelicans mobile app from you?
2: Well, certainly um, one of the things that we're going to focus on the most, obviously, is the number six pick. Um, Once that guy is drafted, we're going to try to get as much access as we can to him. Um, I'm not sure because, as we said earlier, this is the first time I've gone – not sure what they're going to let us get into as far as I think after each of the top guys gets picked, they go through a, a pretty big circuit of visiting with NBA TV, ESPN, Sirius XM Radio, you name it. But hopefully we'll be able to tag along at least and see some of that stuff. And I'm going to do my best on Twitter to keep people updated as far as as this number six pick is, is doing interviews where they might be able to, to hear him. Um, through you know various other outlets um, so that's what I'll be focusing on with him and then um, 39 and 40th pick from a selfish standpoint I mean obviously we want the the team to get two two guys that can help but um, from a selfish standpoint I, w- I'd, I hope that they're there I mean uh-huh. you never know it could be um, you know guys that aren't there guys that stayed home or whatever but um, hopefully they'll be they'll be at least one of them or, or both of them will be in New York City and we'll be able to talk to them. I mean, it's a pretty, it's totally a crapshoot. It's, I mean, it's impossible to predict, but whatever uh, of those second round picks are there, we'll, we'll try to get as much uh, access to them. I mean, you guys might be able to get them on the phone because they're somewhere else and they're not in New York City, right. but um, it'd be even better if they were there. So um, that's what we'll be doing on draft night. And then I'm sure there'll be some other stuff going on too that I don't, I've not. In, aware of right now that'll that'll come up and then also Friday uh, we'll be coming back Friday morning and we'll be here for Friday afternoon for for whatever uh, post-draft activities and press conferences and so on happen
1: here in Metairie so make sure to keep it locked on Pelicans.com the Pelicans mobile app follow the team on Twitter at Pelicans NBA and of course follow uh, Jim on Twitter as well Jim Eichenhofer for all the latest leading up to the draft which starts, I guess, around 6.40 Central. We'll have more of a timing uh, probably tomorrow as far as uh, when it will start and when the Pelicans might pick. But also, Pelicans fans, if you want a place to watch the draft, you can go to Happy's 1009 Poigier Street in New Orleans. Uh, Pelicans and the Puerto Rico Tourism Company will host a draft party at Happy's Irish Pub on Thursday night. There will be prizes and contests for you all. And, of course, you can watch the draft Um, with Pelicans fans and everyone else. So uh, lots of stuff going on during the draft. And, of course, our radio draft show uh, will be on the air starting at 6 o'clock as well. Sean Kelly, John DeShazer, myself, plenty of guests, including Pelicans general manager Del Demps, head coach Alvin Gentry, lots more. And we're hoping to get our draft pick at number 6 and also 39 and 40 on the phone. And, of course, we'll keep you updated through our Twitter and um, on pelicans.com also make sure you interact with us because we will be taking phone calls 504-593-4910 also we'll take your tweets you can tweet Sean Kelly at Sean Kelly live John DeShazer at John DeShazer and you can tweet me at D Salerson. so we'll have plenty of for you on Thursday one day away the Pelicans will be on the clock at pick number six should be a fun one come Thursday night thank you very much for listening to our special edition of the black and blue report a draft preview podcast and we'll hopefully be back for more of these podcasts before we come back for good on July 25th for Jim Eikenhofer I'm Daniel Salerson thanks for listening and we'll talk to you tomorrow for the draft